Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Leverett Ball Show. As always, you can subscribe to LBS on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And before we get started, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our sponsors, Radical Strength and Fitness and Santana Company Barbershop. And our guest today is Reggie Walker. And, you know, football fans, you may know him. Um, he's a former NFL player, played with the uh, Cardinals, Chargers, and Broncos um, after graduating from Kansas State, where he played his college football. Um, and since getting out of the NFL, you know, he stayed busy. He's uh, an entrepreneur. Um, he does his own content creation, and he's also a, a social advocate, and he's uh, spoken on various topics um, such as abuse and mental health. Um, and also, Reggie, um, before we get going, um, we talked a little bit before I started recording. You mentioned that you just had a, a new child uh, on the on the 23rd. So congratulations and welcome. Oh, appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, I'm pretty excited over here. And thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, like I said, you know, I have a lot of different topics I want to ask you about. But to start out... Um, you know, I mentioned your NFL career uh, started out with the Cardinals, um, then San Diego or San Diego at the time. They're now the uh, L.A. Chargers. Um, and then I also spent some time with the Broncos. But you actually made the NFL as an undrafted free agent. And, you know, there are a number of guys who, you know, sign those, you know, undrafted free agent uh, contracts. And maybe they play in training camp for a little bit, get cut or. Um, you know, maybe play on the practice squad, but not many um, undrafted guys are able to stick around in the NFL. So how were you able to, um, you know, make a career for yourself in the NFL after every team um, in the NFL passed over you in the draft? Well, <laughs> I, it was a crazy thing. Um, well, I would say first and foremost, I – well, I was always a huge football fan, and I was always a guy who really paid attention to all the players and situations, and I knew depth charts. Like, I always knew all types of stuff. So when it came down to uh, being an undrafted free agent, the situation was I got to pick out of five different teams where I wanted to go. And since I already knew the situation, I picked the best situation for me, yeah, I, I, for me to make the team. Um to keep it simple. And then once I got through the door, um, I maximized on it. I, I knew what the deal was. I knew I had two undrafted free agents in front of me and I needed to beat out one of them. Um, and then I knew that I needed to be of value to the team. And it was just something that I was just prepared to do. I, I got prepared from college to do it, to be real. Well, and that's interesting. Also, you know, you mentioned since you were a free agent, you could go wherever you wanted. I actually feel as though it might be a better situation. If you're someone who's maybe going to go at the end of the draft or um, end up being a free agent, it may be a better situation to be a free agent rather than say like being a seventh round pick, because you might get drafted in the seventh round by a team. That's not a good fit where maybe they don't really believe in you. You know, you got to pick the, the team that, like you said, was the the best fit. And also kind of building off that, you know, I've worked with various sports and in football, you know, I've worked with college football, um, lower level professional football. And I've also done some NFL coverage with the Patriots in the past, but um, this coming spring, 
I'm going to be working with the Massachusetts Pirates of the Indoor Football League, and they have a number of guys who, you know, feel as though they were overlooked, um, that they should be in the NFL, and they're trying to fight for um, that opportunity to get into the NFL. But for anyone like that who gets out of college football, doesn't initially get drafted, and wants to keep playing, what advice would you have on just how to not give up and, and fight for the NFL spot? Advice. I would say the best advice is knowing what your what your what your strengths and weaknesses are. Um, first and foremost, it's it's definitely um, just the first part. You really need to know what you're strong at, what you're weak at, as far as your game itself. What am I actually good at? And um, because I feel as if most players are very out of touch with really what they're bringing to the table. You really need to know as best you can what you're actually bringing to the table. It's insane to me that, you know, you would see so many guys going out there thinking for one, you know, I'm a pass rush specialist or I'm a, I can cover just like a DB. No, what you're good at is tackling. You need to be in a position where you're doing what you're good at. You need to work on these things. But there's so many guys that are just, they have an overinflated sense of self when it comes to their strengths and weaknesses. So you really need to know that. And you really need to have a plan mm -hmm. because the thing that's going to happen is you're going to be put in this environment, the organization or team, you could say for these purposes, we'll say the team, the team's going to give you a plan. And within their agenda, you need to have your own separate agenda, <laughs> your mm -hmm. own uh, separate plan and to get what you want out of the situation. They're telling you what they want. That's great. You need to know that. But you need to know what you want out of the situation. And you need to knock out steps accordingly to get what you want out of the situation. Too many times um, because you've been around sports and you know the higher you go up, the more business it becomes, the more professional it becomes, the more political it becomes. And you need to know how to operate in that environment, the political mm -hmm. environment, the business environment. And if you don't have a plan within their plan, you're done. Yeah. You're done. You're, you're going to either be a systems guy. You're going to be a one and done guy. You're going to be, be a, a, I never had a chance guy. Um, but that's also why I said starting off, you got to have strengths and weaknesses, knowing, you know, what you're actually bringing to the table before they say it, because, you know, in um, having a plan, um, because, you know, you you got to you got to know how to move in the shadows. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and like you said, you know, some guys don't have the right mentality and it's crazy how many guys can say they made it into the NFL, but they were gone after a year or two. You know, I mean, obviously the stars who play 10 plus years get all the attention, but there are so many less well-known guys who, you know, were on the practice squad for half a season, got cut, never got another shot or, you know, or played a, a year or two years. But and so many NFL players retire before the age of 30, like most of them. But and, and you know, some guys injuries are just not good timing or whatever, but some guys maybe could play longer than they do. And they don't understand those things that you mentioned. You know what else? This just comes to mind. So I work in the New England area. Um, I've done stuff in the past with the Patriots. I'm currently, like I said, doing stuff with the Massachusetts Pirates in the indoor football league. But 
I feel as though you would have been a good Patriots player because they're so big into, um, you know, buying into the system and not having a big ego and knowing your role. They always say, you know, do your job. And you ended up playing, you know, with the, the Cardinals, Chargers and Broncos. But I feel as though you would have fit in well in New England. Do you ever talk to talk to Bill at all about uh, maybe suiting up for the Pats? I was so close to actually playing for them. Um in 2015, in 2015, I was, I had been released from the uh, Broncos. I was one foot in, one foot out the whole time I was there anyway. I mm. was, it was one of those last, you know, I was just trying to see if, you know, I, I had anything left in the tank, if, the, if I wanted to retire. I wasn't sure. But after that camp, I was pretty sure I was done. And then mm-hmm. um, a couple of months after that, I got a call from an old coach and they wanted to bring me in. And I had to tell them no. To I didn't want to do any workouts. I didn't want to come on any teams. I didn't want to do anything. Um, but I could have. Yeah, I could have been there. Um, but I'm so glad that I did not. Go. Yeah. <laughs> I was done. <laughs> I was so done. It would have been dangerous at that point. Oh yeah. But your your old coach though was on the Patriots staff at the time? At the time. At the time. Okay. And, and do you do you do you want to share who that was or are these things confidential? These, you know, little hush hush phone calls with free agents. Oh, this was this was a behind the scenes thing. So uh-huh. I, I, I'm gonna keep it keep it that's fair i understand you know the the pro sports world there are you know there's kind of confidentiality with certain things um you know so um but i i I don't know but i guess it doesn't sound like it was bill himself you know you didn't get a phone call reggie um i'd like to make a question (laughs) on my roster i mean no he has more important things to deal with (laughs) it's so funny belichick i met him once a while back and he's just like you'd expect. Like some people, they have a different personality if you meet them versus like on TV. He's exactly the same. <laughs> I mean, he is very to the point. Um, yeah, to the point. Yeah, I've always, I've always admired him as a coach because to me, he just, I, I feel like he, his greatest skill set is he's just a master delegator. Um, oh. Just a great delegator, which, you know, let 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 these coaches do their jobs, you mm-hmm. know, and then I'm gonna oversee this and put my two cents there. But I'm gonna make sure that the ship is righted the right way. But I'm gonna let everyone control their little parts. And there's a lot of coaches that just can't do that. Mm-hmm. Nope, I, I I can't let this Hall of Fame defensive coordinator do his job. I can't let this hot like this top three offensive coordinator do his job. I have to jump in. And it's like, man, you got to have trust in your staff. And you can see why a lot of his staff goes to different places. And, you know, I, I, I don't feel like that's by coincidence. You're right. And there have been some, you know, coordinators um, from his past staffs, like you said, who have gotten head coaching jobs and done well. And I can imagine him being a great mentor for someone trying to go into coaching. Um, mm-hmm. But um you know, also, I actually wasn't planning on asking this, but now that we're on the topic of Belichick, some people have been hating on him now that Brady won a Super Bowl without him and saying, oh, he's a fraud. It was all Brady all those years in New England. What's your reaction to that? 
<laughs> really? Because it's a, because the world of football that I understand, mm-hmm. the true world of football, it's no matter how much publicity one guy gets, it mm-hmm. really truly is a team sport. Yeah. And um, you know, just like when Trent Dil a uh, Trent Dilfer led Tampa Bay Buccaneers team won, you know, the Super Bowl, you know, he wasn't Tom Brady and not nothing against Trent. You know, he's a great guy, but it's just it's a team and their team had holes all over the place. And at the at the end of the day, it's this is that's why I said that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, no, I it's agree. A, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I mean, I know because like a lot of people I've done like TV radio stuff with, they want to have that hot take and they don't want to be on the fence on anything. They really, really, really want to take a stand and say it was either Belichick or Brady, you know, back in the New England days. This might be a boring answer, but personally, I feel as though it was both of them. You know, I mean, they both contributed, you know, and and maybe you don't go viral on the Internet saying they both deserve credit. You know, you you're more likely to go viral on you know, online, if you say, okay, one of them was a stud and the other one did nothing, but you know, that's, that's what I believe. Um, you know, obviously some people have tried to control the narrative in a different way, but also, you know, I want to ask you about some of your work as, as an entrepreneur and some of the things you do. Um, but what other football question I, I have to get to before we get to that. Um, when you were with the chargers, there was one, uh, specific game, when you sacked Russell Wilson and there's a quick internet search, we'll uh, pull up. A, there's a, there was a picture that was taken right at the point of contact. When you hit Russell, uh, oh, it yeah. looks like you almost decapitated him. Oh, I mean, yeah. what was it like? What was it like hitting Russell Wilson like that? Uh, well, uh, very fulfilling because there's <laughs> a lot of stuff that went into that, but um, I, Russell Wilson also is a house to to he's he's built like a like the running back you don't want to go against. Yeah. Because he's like five nine, two thirty. Yeah. He, he's he's very stout, um, which is very surprising about him. But um no, I, I felt it was fulfilling because I that was a really key moment in the game, and I know what picture you're talking about. Yeah. Um but it was a very key moment in the game when we needed to stop and we ended up winning that game. And I know that that was a big play to help win that game. So um, more than sacking him, I just love that fact that I just made a play um, when it counted. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned, you know, he's a strong guy. People give him a hard time about not being the tallest person in the world, but he's pretty solid and muscular. Like you said, he's, he's built kind of like a running back. Um, But um, you know, I mean, do you ever, you know, on your list of professional accomplishments and the teams you played for awards, you've won, et cetera, do you list on your um, resume that you almost removed Russell Wilson's skull from his body? Is that on uh, there somewhere? No, I put on my resume that if you Google me and go to my images, you see some pretty sick stuff. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> usually, pretty yeah, cool the timing. They got yeah. it right when you were right in there. Yeah, I yeah, I I love the fact um, that you know, I, I I wasn't a like Patrick Willis known guy, and that was fine to me. I, I was, but I do love the fact that I know that I competed with the best, and I held my own against the best, and I made plays in in key moments. So 
you know, and then at the end of the day, the people that I wanted to get respect from the most, which were the other players, I got it from them. So I, I loved my career. Yeah, no question. And, and like you said, you know, you went up against the best. I'm guessing Russell Wilson um, won't want to, you know, listen to this episode. He's probably like, not that guy again. But um, <laughs> did, did you say, and also, did you, one last thing on that, did you know, when you hit quarterbacks, did you ever like talk trash and say like, what's up? I'm coming after you all day. Or you just kind of run back to the huddle. It really depends. <laughs> it, it, um, most guys, I feel like if I said anything, um, yeah. it was more like, how did you do this? Like, how, how did, like, how are you doing this right now? Like, uh, I remember I had three moments. I was, we were playing the Packers, and Aaron Rodgers was just killing us. Uh-huh. Um, and I got really close to sacking him. I was just like, "How did, how did you see? How did you like hear me coming?" He was just like, "Oh yeah, because I know that if we did this blitz, I mean, if this person and this person show up in a line, that you're doing this blitz three out of four times." So I was just like, "Oh, okay, cool." And uh, uh, there's a picture. There's actually a picture of it too with me uh, when I almost got paid Manning, and then right after that. I was talking to him about it and I was just like, how did you know I was coming? Because I flew off the line on that snap. Yeah. And I was like, no way he's going to feel me coming, but he felt me coming. Um, and then, um, yeah, there's just times where that happened, but other than that, you know, I don't really talk mess, but I, unless it's to certain people for certain reasons in certain games. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned Aaron Rodgers and Peyton Manning. Did you ever get Brady? Do you ever have a chance to hit Brady? Never had a chance to hit Brady, mm-hmm. unfortunately, but I never lost either. He so. gets the ball out of his hands so fast. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? It's crazy. But, um, you know, also, uh, like I said, though, you know, I'm also really interested to learn about some of your stuff as an entrepreneur and some of your social activism. Um, I have a, a few questions about that. But um, before I transition, uh, I just need to give a quick sponsor plug. Um, shout out to our sponsor, uh, the Lever Ball Show sponsor, Radical Strength and Fitness. Um, and anyone who wants to sign up for their one-on-one or group workout classes, you actually get a $50 discount um, if you mention the Leverett Ball Show when you sign up. Um, but, you know, like I said, um, you know, you're an entrepreneur and you make a lot of your own content. And, um, you know, you're, you're very open and honest in, in some of your, your YouTube videos. And you you talk about not just your time in the NFL, but your entire life and the highs and lows you've experienced and it's i think it's actually refreshing because so many celebrities whether they're athletes or musicians or politicians or whatever they're so brand conscious that you just feel like you're hearing a robot speak and you know they're not going to open up about insecurities or tough times they just make it look like everything has been perfect every step of the way which is not the case with anyone but what inspired you to be a bit more real with your content and, and open up about things I would say when what made me be more open about it was probably just understanding how big of an issue it was um, with the fact that when I became more comfortable with just talking about what happened to me when I was younger, as far as like going through mental, physical, sexual abuse, And then I started sharing it with my teammates. First and foremost, the thing that always stuck with me was every man, it had to be like nine out of 10, but mostly everybody that I talked to, they said, yeah, the same thing happened to me. 
whether it be like, and it really kind of got me thinking when a lot of people look at their sport, these sports stars and these sports heroes, most of these people come from pretty bad backgrounds, whether yeah. it's, you know, poverty, single parents, grandma raised me, didn't have money, um, usually abuses in the background. And a big thing that a lot of people, as well as the athletes themselves, don't understand is this stuff has an effect on you. And it has an effect on you psychologically, chemically, depending on how young it has it happened to you. But it definitely, first and foremost, has an effect on you psychologically. And it influences the decisions you make. And if you don't deal with it, you're going to be making a bunch of bad decisions and you're going to be hurting people. You're not going to be living a life you want to live. And you're not going to be being successful to the level of in which you want to be successful. And me understanding that this is a huge issue, I really decided I need to get this message out there. I need to do something to combat this problem. I need to start partnering with people who feel the same. I need to hit this head on. So we have better stories out there of these sports heroes and people, less mental health struggles going out there and people doing all these crazy things that you see in the news. They actually have, they actually can get connected with the resources that they need to live successful lives. So that's, you know, that kind of was what really got me started. Definitely. Well, and like I said, you know, I found it very inspiring and, you know, um, you open up about, you know, how when you were a child, you know, you were a victim of abuse, which, you know, that took a lot of courage to to talk about that publicly. Um, because, you know, as you said in some of your videos, you know, you kept some of those things a secret for a while. And so many people who have traumatizing experiences don't want to talk to anyone about it, let alone doing it publicly. So thank you for doing that. And there are some of the things you talked about that I can relate to a little bit personally. Um, I've never experienced sexual abuse, but I did experience child abuse at a young age. Um, you know, my, my mother had brain cancer and, um, during her treatment, they, they radiated her brain, um, which saved her life. It killed the cancer, but it, it badly damaged her brain. And when she started having mental health issues, she started getting very abusive with me. Um, and you know, I didn't tell people about that for a while, but I've started talking about that and just in general talking about some of the bad experiences I've had throughout my life because kind of like you said, more people go through that than you realize. It's just that most people don't tell anyone. But I think when someone, whether it's you or anyone else, opens up about what they've been through, it makes people who have been through that feel less alone. Um, and you know, also one thing you also talked about that I can relate to, you, you talked about child abuse, but you talked a little bit about like using football, you know, a violent sport like football to, um, you, you know, cope with your anger. And I never played football, but I actually played rugby um, in college. And rugby was something where like, you know, it's a violent game. If I was frustrated about something, I just go out there and pummel someone. And that was my way of handling it. But I needed to learn better coping techniques than that. Cause when I graduated from college, you know, I, I didn't play pro after college. I was, you know, a normal person working a normal job and, you know, you can't walking down the street, just body slam someone on the ground the way you can in football or rugby. That's how you get arrested for assault and battery. So you have to actually yeah. <laughs> you know, learn how to cope with stuff like that. Um, but, but a lot of the stuff you said was relatable for me. And I think for so many 
um, different people, but also, um, you know, you did talk a little bit about kind of like misconceptions about athletes and about masculinity. Um, you know, what do you think are some of the biggest misconceptions that people might have, you know, if they see here's Reggie Walker, former NFL player, here's how I think he is, or here's how I think other NFL players like him are. What are some of the biggest misconceptions they have? I would say the biggest one Mm -hmm. um, is easily the fact that as a man, I mean, as a human being and you're a guy, you have emotions that stuff can get to you, that things can affect you. Um, Two, I I think it's, it's, it's funny to me that um, most people, when it's come to a lot of stuff that I was dealing with this were like, Oh, I didn't even think that that would bother you or that you're going through that, that it had an effect on you. And I was just like, yeah, man, like, yeah, why wouldn't it? You know, yeah. like, you know, I like, like I, I, I got, um, like, I, like for instance, I got sexually abused from age four to about 12. And when I brought that up with people, the first thing is like, oh, I didn't even know that that is like affected you, like that that would do anything to you. I was like, I was four though, like, how would you not understand that? But the fact of the matter is, when I really started analyzing it after having all these conversations, is just, you know, people don't know what they don't know, and it's very difficult for most to really put on the shoes of somebody else, and that's why it's so important that I I know that I do talk because, you know, people really need to understand how it could like, how it could really affect you, what it does to you, how your mind works throughout the day when these things are going on through. So, you know, you can help bridge the gap in understanding because a lot of people, they don't understand, but it's not through, it's not, it's not a malicious thing. It's more of, I, I just don't get it like thing yeah so i just try to help as many people as possible just to get it um in their language yeah that's interesting you said that some people when you told about what you went through they said that they didn't think that that would would bother you i mean i think that would bother anyone having a traumatizing experience like that and i i think there are certain misconceptions about a lot of misconceptions about masculinity and what defines masculinity for example you know some people think that hiding your emotions makes you a man i actually think it takes more guts to show your emotions and show vulnerability and i think the there's this entire image in society about like what a man looks like and like a lot of the men who fit that stereotype of what a man should look like are some of the most spineless people i've met like they always talk about how like growing up the bully in school is the most insecure kid like when I played rugby, when I went up against guys who like talked a lot of shit and acted like they were the biggest dog in the room, I didn't see strength. I saw a weakness. I remember certain guys would act like that. And I'd be like, I am going to toast this motherfucker to put it very eloquently. You know what yeah. I mean? Like the second this guy gets the ball, he's getting rocked and it didn't hurt as much to get hit by me as it probably would by you. But, um, but still, you know, but like, there's just such a, a, a misconception about you know, what makes a man. And then some of the like most, you know, men who I know are the most open with their emotions and 
don't try and strut, strut around and throw their weight around. So they're some of the most strong-willed people I know. And I think maybe also because, you know, you're a former professional athlete, people might view you as invincible. The fact that you play in the NFL doesn't mean you're not human. Yeah, and that's exactly what I was meaning when I said that too. They think that you're not human, that you have this unbreakable whatever that's going to get you there. And yeah, I, 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 you know, I would say I'm pretty resilient and I would say that I'm a pretty good problem solver. And, you know, I had value, like I could play, but, you know, stuff affects me. I'm human. I'm a mm -hmm. person. But a couple things too. So one, I used to play rugby um, yeah. in high school. I, I and I was so close to going to college playing rugby, um, but it, it, like I actually loved rugby more than I loved football. Um, but football in the states is just bigger, and oh, that's, yeah. that's the big that's the biggest reason why I played football. But um, the hardest hit I've ever taken was actually in rugby hmm. by like a tiny guy. Um, mm -hmm. I was like, I was like in high school, I think I was like 225. Um, and this guy from Jesuit, um, he hit me, he was probably five, four, a hundred pounds, hit me right in my thighs. I was walking funny for two weeks. Like it hurt. It, I, uh. he, he completely took me out the game. Damn. But, but even going back to what you were saying, that's why earlier I said, you know, it depends on the situation, whether or not I'm going to say something, because usually when you have those people that are talking, um, they're, they're some of the softest, cuddle buddy, just least respectable people in the football field that you can find. You know, there's very, there's very few Steve Smiths. There's more, like, there's 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 not a like Steve Smith is not the majority of these right. guys that can talk and back it up and continuously back it up. No, most of them, they as soon as you hit them in their face, they're gonna stop. Yeah, and, yeah, and they're giving you a lot of ammunition to want to hit them in the face. And in the league too, you don't want to be one of those guys because. You're gonna that's when people start doing all those dirty cheap shots too. Um, and they're gonna be looking for you. And the thing is, man, I'm I, I gotta get to next week too. So I'm not I don't want to sit here and just be dodging people diving at my knees yeah. all the time because I because I can't you know, nah man, I it's no. I just I'd rather just hit you in the face and walk back to the huddle and do it again. One hundred percent and also, you know. The same way, like the guys who act like that aren't as tough as they are. Like, you know, some people they view like if you're humble or you treat people with respect as as weakness. That's that's the opposite. And it you actually, I think you you put yourself out there more and you're more vulnerable when you treat people with respect and you don't try to intimidate them, you know, and oh. or abuse your power over them. And that takes oh, yeah. more courage than just like I said, trying to throw your weight around. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And then. uh yeah, plus two, I think I, I learned a lesson when I was a lot younger in my, my first year of college when I thought I was King King Mo. I thought I was I thought I was king shit, man. Like mm -hmm. I thought I was the man, 18 years old. <laughs> I we played Texas Tech and they were doing a two-play conversion and I run full speed into this guy named Taco and he picks me up off the ground. And he shakes me. And the thing 
that he did is stuck with me for years after that. So you're embarrassing me on national television. I know this is a nationally televised game. People have to see this. You're shaking me midair. And then you just set me down and calmly jogged to the sideline. He didn't say anything. He didn't say like, duh, like got you or nothing. He put me down and then just walked to the huddle. Do you under, and that was the first quarter. So you understand what, like in my 18 year old mind, what was going on at that point? Like I was done. Like, I was like, I gotta keep playing. Like against this guy, like what I gotta do. I was so mentally done. That that stood that stood out to me. Like you don't need to talk. You yeah. don't need to do any of the talking. Like just back it up with your pads, and that will do more than enough. Yeah, and and yeah. it can it can humble you. Those things. It's, yeah, I mean, I I think you know a lot of times you know actions speak louder than words. It's kind of like I do uh, a couple times a week now. I do um, some powerlifting classes actually with the gym that sponsors this the show um, they hooked me up with a discounted rate because of our business partnership. But some of the people who train at that gym are, are power lifters and guys in competitions. And, you know, they deadlift 600 pounds, 700 pounds. I'm sure you've been around lots of guys like that in the NFL. I mean, I'm guessing also, I don't know your weight room numbers. They're pretty darn good if you're an NFL linebacker, but like for me as like a normal person, like I played college sports, I'm a decent athlete, but I can never get cocky because like, some of those guys can outbench me by like 300 pounds. So if I tried to run my mouth, they'd be like, okay, well, when you can bench 600 pounds, you can talk until then shut your mouth. So I keep my mouth shut. But like, if I'm going to like a planet fitness or YMCA and outlifting the out of shape people there, like, you know, that's not really a, that's not really reality. And you need that dose of reality sometimes to humble you. Oh yeah. Um, and those, those doses of reality, I have grown to be, very appreciative of like um like for like for instance i you know i'm a i'm a pretty big guy i'm about mm-hmm. you know 6'2 260 right now i'm pretty big but um i know i know that if i go out here and i fight most people there's i would say my percentage of winning most of those fights is pretty high but i know that there's somebody out here that is looking for me to act up <laughs> in a situation so they can test their moves out on me and i know that i am not going to be the one for them because uh, in college we took a class called combatives and our trainers were two five two like really small dudes and um I would never, after the stuff that I've seen them do, I was like, no, I'm never going up to these guys. I'm never going up to anybody on the street. And I don't care if you step on my shoes, push me, whatever. Like, nah, man, I'll just call the cops. Like, Well, the other <laughs> big thing about, like, being out in public, like, I kind of like you, you know, I play contact sports. I've never really, like, gotten in a fight out in public. Um, I was a bouncer in college, but, like, I was more, like, breaking up fights rather than starting them. Um, but like, yeah, yeah, but like, I don't fight people in public. The other big thing is like, you never know who could have a knife or a gun. So, you know, even if I were the, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, someone could still shoot me. And at the end of the day, if someone has a weapon, you're, doesn't matter how big and strong you are, you're screwed. So yeah, if someone's harassing me in public, if I need to get the police involved, I will, but yeah, I'm not trying to fight anyone either. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I got three kids. Like, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, <laughs> no that's like, no, I, no, I, uh, there's no way. That's, yeah, that's, 
you know, but it goes back into just knowing what it is out here and being very aware that yeah, <laughs> I'm not, you, you have to be crazy nowadays to just go up to anybody in a bar and be like, try to pick up a fight, pick a fight. You never know who's doing jujitsu, who's yeah. doing some type of training. The most dangerous guy, there was a guy there in our combative training who he was like five, six, 230 pounds, chubby. He looked like he's never done anything athletic in his life, but he was the most dangerous person in the room. And he was like, yeah, that guy can kill you 200 different ways with a pencil. And I was just like, whoa, that guy? And you would never know. Ever since then, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not crazy out in public. I don't. I don't want no issues with nobody. <laughs> I don't do any of that stuff. <laughs> no way. That's that's stupid. No, that's fair stupid. enough. Well, you mentioned also, you know, having now you now have three kids. You know, I mentioned earlier, um, you know, you just welcomed a newborn. That was your third. With some of the stuff you do, you know, with mentoring, advocacy, I know because of some of your personal experiences, you're inspired to do that. But does it give you added motivation to do those types of things and and be a role model now that you have your own kids? Yeah, I would say, yeah, because you want to leave a good example and you want your kids to understand how to live life and something to look up to. And you're your they're your father. I mean, you're their father. So Mm -hmm. you want them to have a positive light of that. Um, But as far as the push to do that, you can see stuff. The only push I really need is just remembering how it felt not really having the uh, a great support system at the time during certain times or not being able to utilize it and sitting with that that pain that you that comes with a lot of this trauma and not having that person that I needed during some of those times that I could help and knowing that with what I know and getting my story out there and helping um that I could help put that person in some people's lives like that's all that's the only push i really need yeah Um, well and then when that reminds me also in one of your youtube videos i saw you talk about like the importance of being a good mentor for yourself and not being entirely reliant on other people and that's also i keep talking about how some of the things you said are relatable you know when i was a, a teenager you know, I mentioned the stuff with my mother, but then I was also an only child and my dad worked all the time. So it was a lonely, humbling experience. And I learned how to be independent. And so now, you know, with my friends or my girlfriend or people in my life, like I enjoy having them around, but I also feel as though I can rely on myself. So I don't feel dependent on them. I feel as though I can depend on myself, but I want them around because I enjoy being around them. Um, and And some people, you know, who get stuck in toxic relationships, they feel as though they're nothing without their relationships. That's not the case. People need to learn that, you know, you can get by on your own and bring people into your life who add enjoyment or value, but don't rely on that. And that was, I think, a really good message that you mentioned in in that one video that I watched. Yeah, no, I appreciate you bringing that up too, because the thing that I, I really got to understand quite early about things was, you know, about like, you know, I, I, I'm a full advocate in the fact that pe- having a mentor helps. It really does. I wish during a lot of times on my journey, I had a mentor. But the fact of the matter is when it comes down to doing things in life, cre- like going and accomplishing these big goals and 
making it like that you want, that you're the person that has to do it. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you know you the best. So you need to have a really great relationship with mm-hmm. yourself and understanding your strengths and weaknesses and what you bring to the table. And that was just something that I really wanted to stress with that. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, you are the one that's going to have to do the work. So you have to, in your own way, have a system that is really best suited for you, you know, and, um, and that's comes from being your own mentor. Yeah. So, you're right. And, and it's always nice to have people there, but, but sometimes, you know, there are people whose parents abandon them when their children or their husband or wife cheats on them. And the person they thought was their rock isn't there anymore. And that's certainly not an ideal situation to be in, but if you're in that situation, you can get through it. You know, if you can be there for yourself. And like I said, I think that's why your message is so important, you know, for those people who are estranged from their families or, um, you know, don't have many friends or, or whatever. I mean, I was estranged from my mother for many years. I now do uh supervised visits with her, with a social worker um, because they view her as a danger to herself. So she has to have professional supervision, but you know, that was very helpful for me watching that video. And, and also part of why I want to invite you on, you know, obviously I work in sports, you have the impressive uh, sports resume, but thank you. Like I said, for also speaking out on those, those other topics. And um, you know, also um kind of, you know, moving forward with, you know, the weird time it's been with the pandemic and everything, um, you know, how has that gotten in the way of some of your speaking and entrepreneurship and what are some of your, your plans for the near future? Oh, plans for the near future and COVID. I would say that it actually put me in the place to get my message and get everything out there on a bigger scale. It really helped me to refocus on what really mattered. And it really kind of gave me that little push I needed because uh, I felt up until that time pre-COVID that I was, I was doing speaking, I was enjoying it, but I wasn't at a place where I knew whether or not I wanted to just keep doing it or do some other stuff or whatever. And it really, it really helped me to sit down because mm-hmm. I was moving too much. I was in the COVID and everything, the pandemic helped me to sit down and reprioritize things. And I'm glad it did. And um, it's been a benefit to me. Um, and then plans for the future. I got a lot of plans um, right now. I'm going to keep doing that stuff. Keep reaching out to, uh, to individuals, individuals, businesses, and organizations, uh, because with my consulting, I help uh, it help improve the lifestyle and environment of athletes. So we pair with companies and brands and individuals that are that go that message. And right now, and then I enjoy being, you know, retired and uh, being a family man. Definitely, definitely, and. Um... You know, also, um, for anyone who wants to, you know, keep up with your work, uh, I mentioned you're on YouTube, but which, uh, which platforms are you on and where can people find your, uh, different speaking and, and different content that you put out there? So I'm going to launch, um, we're going to launch a website in the next two to three months. Um, so just be on the lookout for that. Uh, um, but right now, if people really wanted to reach out to me, LinkedIn, I, I, 
do not like Twitter. I uh-huh. only use Instagram for the memes and food <laughs> pictures. I'm sorry, I look at them. Or, but yeah, funny stuff and food pictures. And then LinkedIn, that's the one where I socialize and I'll post content and do that. Other than that, and it's the least toxic of all the other sites. True. So I stay on that. <laughs> True. Yeah. <laughs> a lot far fewer insults on LinkedIn. Although, what about TikTok? Have you gotten on TikTok at all? Because I know you say you like some of the no. funny videos. No, I, I no. And luckily, someone posted all of those on Instagram, most of them, so I can watch them. But Right. No, I, 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 no, <laughs> so, so we won't see you making TikTok dance videos anytime soon. You will not. You will not. Unless I lost a bet or my daughter somehow talked me into it, which they have failed so far. In. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> it sounds like they're trying to push you in the TikTok direction. Who knows? They're trying because they, they, because they know dad can dance, but the world don't need to see that. So, no. Uh huh. <laughs> well, that's that's awesome though that you know you're you know able to do stuff virtually. You know, a, a lot of people these days are working from home. You know, I with some of my TV stuff getting canceled because the pandemic. I've been doing more podcasting, and you know, you've been putting a lot of your speaking online versus you know speaking, um, you know, in person. But um, yeah. I guess also, you know, as we kind of wrap things up, um, you know, what with all the advocacy you do. Um, and the platform you have as a former NFL player, um, you know, what type of legacy do you uh, hope to develop, you know, through your, your advocacy and what really makes you tick and what would you say are the, the primary reasons you have the motivation to do that? Legacy. Kind of a loaded question. I threw a lot, a lot at you. No, no, it's a, no, it's all good. It's a great question. So as far as the legacy that I'd want to leave, I, want as many people as possible to you know when i died just be like he helped me and i'm thankful for that that's as many people as i can possibly reach out to on planet earth uh to be able to do that for so many people and at the end of the day on my deathbed just be happy and content with what i've done um I would be I would be pretty happy with anything else, um, for the most part. Um, I'm not really tied into like I you know I want my kids to be like you know they I helped you know my wife to be like I helped this that I that I left a mark and a positive one to as many people as possible. Um, I would say that is my legacy. And what was the other part of the question? Well, and also, you know, what are the, um, you know, primary motivations that, you know, make it so rewarding for you to, to do what you do? Oh, knowing that I can keep as many people from that deep, deep pit of just darkness and filth and low self-confidence and pain and hurt that just exists that Mm -hmm. that whole negative emotion pit that i can just show as many people as possible to get out of that and to keep themselves from that and understand that part about themselves in order to just make the lives that they want for themselves if you know that motivates me every day yeah and that's awesome and you know i think also you know with different people being advocates especially with you know some of the mental health stuff i think lives can be saved you know they um certain people who 
you know, ha- have taken their own lives. They, they could have been saved if they got the help they needed. Um, you don't know if you've seen any of the stuff that Michael Phelps does um, talking publicly about some of his struggles with depression, but it, it, you know, when big name guys, you know, athletes and different people uh, take a stand that, that makes a big difference. But um, we've obviously covered uh, quite a few different topics from, um, you know, your football to your advocacy, different personal experiences you've had life lessons you've learned. Um, so yeah, thank you for bearing with me. Just ask my girlfriend. It can be a roller coaster uh, having a conversation with me sometimes, but, uh, but no, Reggie, thank you so much for uh, coming on my podcast. Thanks for having me on. And it's been a pleasure. No question. So once again, that's Reggie Walker. I'm Leverett Ball. Thanks for tuning in to the Leverett Ball Show.